Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. got a Bible, we're uh, going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today, so if you want to get a head start, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download um, Uversion or Bible Hub, great, great apps, you can use those in your personal study, it's in Uversion that you'll find our, our daily devotional, one of our core practices is daily devotions, and we have one that goes right along with the message uh, for today, we're actually reading through the book of Ephesians, this whole study that we're doing right now is in Ephesians, so this year, those of you who come regularly, you know that our, our word for the year is inconvenient faith, that, uh, that convenient Christianity is the enemy of your soul. And, and we sing these songs about being passionate about Jesus, but then you got to go out and, and, and be in the real world. And there's a lot of distractions and there's a lot of things that come across, temptations that come our way, struggles that come our way, and it's not always easy. And that's why we're talking about this word inconvenient. And so how do we stay passionate for Jesus? That's what our eight core practices are about. You're gonna, in the month of September, we're going to be doing a deep dive in these, but we're this year calling them the eight inconvenient practices because they're just not easy. And so we're on the practice of godly friendships. I'm going to turn to somebody and say, would you be my friend? Will, will, you, will you be my, be my friend? That's like a, that's a Mr. Rogers moment right there. That's what we just had together. But it, it's not just about Sundays, but it's about coming together in groups and doing life together, but that's not easy. And so we have this series we're doing called Inconvenient Friendships. And I'm, I'm pumped today because I'm not speaking. So I was like, I, I was looking, I was like, man, why do we have a full house today? Everybody found out I wasn't speaking. So <laughs> Pastor Brad's off. I'm going. I'm going this week. I, uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I say this with all transparency and all honesty, I could not be more excited about this moment and what we're gonna be doing. Uh, many of you, if not most of you, know Paula Neal, Pastor Paula. Uh, yeah. She, uh, her and Curtis and their kids uh, started coming, man, over a dozen years ago when we were meeting in a school is when they showed up. And then a few years ago, God began stirring in her to go into um, vocational ministry. So she answered that call and she has gotten licensed and doing all the schooling, the training, and equipping. Uh, and today she's, she's going to preach. And this is, uh, yeah, this is exciting. So I'm going to ask you to give her a little love uh, uh, and, and make her feel comfortable because this is her very first time to preach here at Core Church. But the word that she has I've heard it like three times now. I've been a part of our, we have a team that comes together to work together on all of our messages. And I, this is an incredible word. So come on, welcome Paula. Come on, Paula. Well, good morning. I am more than excited to be here this morning. And I just want to let you all know that if you want to throw me some amens and you go, girl, just do it. <laughs> There's my first one. Okay. 
So we are in the book of Ephesians, and today we are going to be reading out of chapter 3. And if you're new to Scripture, I just want to let you know that the uh, book of Ephesians is actually a letter. It was a letter written by Apostle Paul. He was one of the leaders of the church. And what fascinates me about this letter is Paul wrote the letter while in prison. The religious leaders of the time were threatened by him, so they arrested him, they threw him in prison, and while he was there, he decided to write a letter of joy and encouragement. And I'm thinking, that had to be a little inconvenient. But Paul understood that living out our faith is inconvenient, and he cared about the people. Today, we are talking about church as a people, and we're reading Ephesians 3, 6, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for this word, this message that you have given us today. I ask that you just clear our minds and our hearts so that we can receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, for those of you who don't know, I am married to Curtis, who's not paying attention at the moment. That's 35 years of marriage for you right there. <laughs> he sits right here on the front row. You might know him from the coffee bar. He is the guy that gives you a hard time. He's known as the jokester around here. And he is ornery to the core. Some of you know him. <laughs> we have five boys. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let me let you know something. These boys are just like him. So if you know Curtis, you can just imagine what my life has been like living with six of him. I never knew what to expect. I mean, one day I woke up and I had Spider-Man tattooed to my face. True story. One day when my youngest was about six years old, he came walking into the living room, and he was wearing an unusual outfit that day. It was a hot summer day, and he had a big, heavy jacket on, but that's not all. He also had a racing helmet on, and it was like 10 times too big for his little head. Then he had taken two pillows, and he had sandwiched himself in between the pillows and somehow had duct tape them all around him. He, he looked like, well, I have a picture. You want to see a picture? Let's look at that picture. What are you doing? Going outside. Where are you going outside? To the clubhouse. The clubhouse. The clubhouse that 
sits up off the ground. The clubhouse that's two stories high. Why are you wearing that outfit? I don't want to get hurt. Get hurt? What, what are you, you going to jump off of it? I mean, that outfit, that's a fair question. He said, no, there's, there's wasp in the clubhouse, and I don't want to get stung. He had covered himself in protection because he was going to a place that normally was a safe place. But in the heat of the summer, the wasps were in there, and he didn't want to get hurt. This is how some of us approach church or core groups. We come in with, with protection around us. We know it's, it's supposed to be a safe place, but man, I'm afraid of getting hurt. Or I've been hurt before. And I, I just don't want to let my guard down. Can I tell you, you're not alone. A recent study have found that 70% of Americans do not have great confidence in the church. This is Christians and non-Christians. 70% do not have great confidence in the church. But it's not just the church. It's, it's big institutions. It's institutions like our public schools, the justice system, the media, Congress, and organized religion. People are fearful of institutions. They see institutions as systems that oppress them. They abuse power. They're controlling. They're corrupt. They're dishonest. The church gets lumped into this. People are afraid of getting stung. So how can we represent the church as a people and not an institution? Let's look what Paul says. He says, this is God's plan. Houston, we have a plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Let's talk about these riches inherited by God's children. Because this is one of the great misunderstandings about God and the church. I was watching a TV show, and don't laugh at me. I have five boys plus Curtis, so I'm naturally drawn to a show called Mom. And I'm watching this episode, and one of the characters had been in prison, and she found Jesus. She received early parole, and when she got out, she was given a house and a great job. And her friend Bonnie said, wait just a minute. Let me get this straight. Are you trying to tell me that ever since you found Jesus, you got early parole, a house, and a job? She says, yes, that's what I'm telling you. Skip to the next scene, and Bonnie is now in church with her friend, singing and praising Jesus. And she leans over to her and says, 
when can I start asking for stuff? <laughs> Church, is this how we are presenting Jesus to the world? This isn't just a worldview. This is how some believers understand Christianity, that, that we share equally with Jesus and the riches like the pearly gates, the golden streets, houses, cars, and income just flowing in. But these are not the riches that Paul is talking about. So what does Paul mean by share equally in the riches? Let's look back earlier in this letter. Ephesians chapter 1-6. We praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in money, cars, houses. Is that what it says? No. He is so rich in what? Kindness and grace. Then in chapter 2, 4, God is so rich in what? Mercy. And what does mercy mean? He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. The riches are not money, cars, houses. The riches are kindness, grace, and mercy. Paul is saying that we share equally in the good news. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter our struggles or our questions, we share equally in God's kindness, grace, and mercy. If we are not presenting Jesus as a relationship, then we're just an institution. How are we ever going to see Jesus in the church? It starts with us. We have to be kind and give grace and mercy to each other. But, man, that's inconvenient. That's how the Jews felt. I mean, Paul was teaching some radical stuff here. I mean, listen to this. He says both, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because, say it with me, they belong to Christ Jesus. If you're new to Scripture, let me explain why this is so radical. The Jews are God's chosen people. The Jews have been following God for 4,000 years. They are the ones that received the law of Moses. They are the ones who received the Ten Commandments. They are the ones who were promised the Messiah. And who were the Gentiles? Everyone else. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. Most of us in this room are Gentiles because we don't have a Jewish heritage. And according to the Jews, the, the Gentiles, they were, they were dogs. They were unclean. They separated themselves, wouldn't even eat with them. And now, Paul, you are going to come in here and say that the Gentiles can just waltz right in and share equally? This is radical. But let's understand that the, the Jews weren't being hard-headed. They were 
being sincere. They were wanting to hold on to their traditions and their beliefs. And Paul wasn't trying to change their beliefs. He was trying to point them to their Messiah, to the one they've been waiting for. Jesus is your Messiah. And let's also understand that the Jews weren't the chosen ones to be the only ones. They were chosen to carry the message to the world. They were chosen to carry the message to the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't God's second choice. It was God's plan for them to share equally. But the Jews had gotten stuck in an institution mindset of laws and commandments. And Paul was preaching Jesus as a relationship with kindness, grace, and mercy. What about the Gentiles? How are they feeling about all this? I mean, they had to wonder if they even belonged. They, they, were, they were pagans. They worshiped other gods or no gods. They lived a lifestyle that was unholy and sinful. How can a Gentile share equally in God's kindness, grace, and mercy with people who have served God for thousands of years? How can I just come right in and be accepted? They, they had to feel like I'm not good enough. And the Jews and the Gentiles, they had been against each other for a long time. And now they had to learn how to love and accept and care for one another. They had to learn how to sit next to each other. And then Paul says, you need to go into each other's homes. This is like the first day of school for the Gentiles. Some of you I, I hear are going back to school. You've either just gone back or you're getting ready to go back, and you've got that, that nervousness. Your, your stomach, it, it, it just churns. You know, we, as adults, we don't outgrow the feeling of the first day of school. We, we have that feeling the first day we start a new job or the first time at a new gym or when we walk into a social gathering or maybe this is your first time at a new church and you, you don't know the routines, you don't know, you don't know the traditions, you don't know where to sit or who to talk to. And you wonder, does anyone care? What are they thinking about me? Do I even belong? How can I just waltz right in here and be accepted? You know, we can act like a Jew or we can feel like a Gentile. We right now are in a room full of different faith backgrounds. Some, some of us have a faith background of Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist. I, my background is Catholic. And what is it that we do? We walk in, size up the room, wonder what kind of music they're going to have. Do they do communion every week? What do they believe about baptism? Is that a woman up there preaching? 
tell somebody, yes, it is. <laughs> Some of us have no religious background, or it's a little sketchy. And, and you might be afraid of, what are my friends going to think if I buy into this church thing? I mean, am I going to be weird? And does anybody here even want me in their home? I, I mean, I'm, I'm so ashamed about my past. I'm so embarrassed about my present. Maybe if I was a better Christian, maybe if I knew the word better, maybe after I clean up this mess, then I can belong. And we haven't even touched on the political differences in this room or the different opinions on particular issues. Paul says the Jews and the Gentiles are part of the same body. The churched and the unchurched are part of the same body. The Baptists and the Nazarenes are part of the same body. The Democrats and the Republicans are part of the same body. The Raiders and the Chiefs are part of the same body. As Pastor Brad would say, now I'm preaching. Let me explain something that's going on here. The Neal family that has taken up the front row. The Neal family are huge Chiefs fans. And Pastor Brad is not. But we are part of the same body because we belong to Christ Jesus. Church, hear me. We can use our differences to cause division. Or we can allow our differences to create unity. You know what I love about this place? We are a people full of the riches of God's kindness, grace, and mercy. But do you know the world doesn't know that? Do you know that you have coworkers and neighbors that don't know that? We think they know that. We think that they look at us and they, and they see kindness, grace, and mercy, but they don't. They look at the church and they see an institution. There are misconceptions about the church. One of them is that religion doesn't allow people to continue in their lifestyle. We call that deliverance. We're set free. But people see it as oppression. You're trying to take something from me. You're trying to control me. One of our core practices is Generous giving. Because we know that we are part of a mission that is greater than us. But we hear people all the time say, all the church wants is my money. No, 
That's what the casinos and Amazon and BOK want, and we have no problem dishing it out to them. <laughs> Been hurt by Amazon, huh? <laughs> Many times. <laughs> we know that we are a bunch of imperfect people just trying to do better every day. But people see our imperfection as hypocritical. You may actually feel the same way. So how do we, in this little old church, in little old Broken Arrow, how do we change the world's mindset from seeing the church as an institution to seeing the church as a people. 2,000 years ago, there was a little old church of 120 believers. They were in an upper room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit fell on them and they received power and they began to prophesy and they went into their world. They went to their coworkers, into their neighbors, into their homes and they formed core groups. You think I'm kidding. Acts 2.42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles, say these with me, teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. This is what we do in core groups. We have fun. We talk about the sermons. We eat good food. And we pray. Then while they were meeting in each other's homes and sharing the kindness, grace, and mercy, look what God does. Go down to verse 47. Each day the Lord did what? Added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the beginning of the church. You and I are here today understanding the hope of eternal life because 120 believers were willing to invite people into their homes and share kindness, grace, and mercy, the riches of God. It is what they did together that changed the world. But let's be honest. It's inconvenient. Being in a core group is it's inconvenient. You have to bring something to share. You have to Make the time. You have to give up something else you wanted to do. It's inconvenient, but it's worth it. Falling in love and dating is inconvenient, but we do it. Let me tell you, one of the things that keeps Curtis and I married is we do not want to go through the dating process again. I mean, the pressure. I mean, come on, ladies. We have to try on all of our clothes in the closet to pick the perfect outfit. We've got to do our face and our hair and our nails. And you guys, you've got to shower and shave and suck that gut in. <laughs> Curtis tells me that when we were dating that he had to wash and wax the truck just to pick me up to go to the movies. It was inconvenient. But let's be honest. I was worth it. <laughs> Come
coming here this morning was inconvenient. It's a weekend. It's your day off, and you had to get up out of bed on a Sunday morning. But hasn't it been worth it to be here this morning? If we are not in relationship with each other, we're just an institution. Years ago, I, I owned a daycare center in Glenpool. And one summer morning started out just like any other day. All the kids were dropped off and the teachers were there and it was just a buzz of activity and everybody was having a good time. But by the middle of the afternoon, things had started to shift. It got dark outside. And I was watching the clouds, and they started to form into those dark black clouds. The wind picked up. And then the sky turned that ominous green color. You know that color. I was standing uh, at the front of the building, and the entire front of the building were those Florida windows, storefront windows all along there. And the air pressure outside had changed, and it had started to push in on the building, and those storefront windows started to bow. The sirens went off, and the moment of realization hit me. It's coming. It's coming right towards us. And I have a center full of children. We've got to get them in a safe place because the... the Center was a big open field, so all the classrooms just had half walls. And we only had one room in the entire center that had the full walls, and it was our storage room. It, it was a good-sized room, but we had to get all the kids into that room. We, we had to get the babies and the one-year-olds and the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds and the four-year-olds and the five-year-olds and the six, seven, and eight-year-olds. We had to get them into this room. So we, we, we got them all in the room, and I was the last one to go in the room, and I took one last look at those front windows, and they were bowing. And I thought, we're, we're in trouble. I got into the room, and I shut the door, and the electricity had gone out, so it was dark. And this was before cell phones, so everybody couldn't pull a phone out and, and light it up. It was pitch black. It was the kind of dark where your eyes are wide open, but you can't see your hand in front of you. And we were... We were sandwiched in there. We were sitting on top of each other. I, ha I had three kids in my lap, but none of them were mine. 
I had a baby in the center. He was my firstborn. He was about a year old. But I couldn't see him. So I, I called out, does anybody have Timmy? One of the teachers answered, I, I've got him. He's, he's, in my, he's in my lap. Okay. Then we heard it. The sound of a freight train, the roaring of the winds, and we knew it's here, and it's on top of us. The building was shaking, and, and we could hear the, the debris whipping around as the building was being torn apart. We were surrounded by a chaos of storm. Inside the room were the sounds of the children crying and screaming and the teacher saying, it's going to be okay, but you could hear the fear and the trembling in their voices. Inside the room was a chaos of fear. And then one three-year-old little girl started to sing. She sang, Jesus loves me. The most amazing thing happened. As she sang, one by one, the children stopped crying until the room was a silent Peace, except for her sweet little voice singing, Jesus loves me. The storm was still raging outside, but now we were buffered in God's peace, in his presence. And in a surreal moment, as she sang, one by one, the children started to sing with her until the entire room was singing, Jesus loves me. This is what we do for each other. When one of us is going through a storm, somebody else begins to sing. We point to Jesus. We lift each other up. When the storm was over and, and I walked out, there was damage and destruction everywhere. And there would be a long time of cleaning up and rebuilding and emotional healing. But the portion of the building that we had been in was untouched. God got us through. And we were safe. When I think about that little girl, I wonder, what if she hadn't been there that day? Her presence that day mattered. 
Can I tell you that in this body of Christ and in the body of Christ that we call core groups, your presence matters. You are needed and you belong. I didn't always believe that about myself. When I walked into the doors of Core Church for the first time, I came in with my protection on. But my protection weren't soft pillows. My protections were stone walls with attitude. <laughs> I didn't trust the church. I didn't trust the people. I didn't trust the preacher. <laughs> and I I'll let you enjoy that for a moment. <laughs> and I didn't trust God. I had gone through a lot of hurt and a lot of struggle. And I had suffered from severe depression. And I came in here with a lot of questions about who God is and where is God when I'm hurting? And why didn't you answer my prayers? The last thing I wanted was to be in relationship with any of you people. So you can just imagine how I felt one Sunday morning when Curtis said, I signed us up for a core group. <laughs> you did what? I don't want to be in a core group. I don't want to share my stuff. I don't want to be in relationship. But he wanted to go, so I decided I would go, but I was bringing my helmet and my pillows with me. I covered myself in protection because I didn't want to get hurt. I, I didn't know if I could trust these people, so I, I had a plan. My plan was to not participate too much, not overshare, I would be polite, but not close. This plan worked for about 10 months until somebody in my group was going through something. And what she was going through, I had been through. And I understood. And I let my guard down. And I shared my story. I began to sing for her with kindness, grace, and mercy. I poured into her, and it helped her. And eventually, she was able to sing again. My heart softened. My walls came down. And I developed a relationship with these people. What I didn't know... He said, I had another storm of my life brewing. 
I thought it was through all that. But that's not the way life works. They keep coming, those storms. And I was going to need to be surrounded by people who could sing for me. So when trauma hit me and my family, it would be my core group that stood beside us. And it would be my core group who carried us through a long journey of crisis. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if, if you have a storm in your life or, or if you just have stuff raging in your head. I, I'm not good enough. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm hurting. My question for you is, who's in your room? Who sings for you? Who sings with you? Core Church, we are a people who are not perfect. We fail, we fall, and we struggle. But we do it together in the riches of God's kindness, grace, and mercy. Because we are not an institution. We are a people. I want you to high-five everybody around you and tell them, you're my people. I am so thankful that God brought me into this body of Christ. And I am happy to do life with all you people. <laughs> Father, I just thank you for this message today. I thank you that you have poured your riches of kindness, grace, and mercy into us. And Father, I just ask that you pour into us more than we can hold or handle, that it just pours out onto those in our neighborhoods and our, our coworkers and our classmates. Father, we are willing to be used by you in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. amen. We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.